How many of you guys like vegetables? Yeah. It's going to be one of those nights. You're just like, that's the first question? Seriously? Come on, man. Let's go. How about fruit? Yeah, now we're talking, right? Okay, so um, it's kind of interesting, though, if you're, if you're familiar with this at all, if you're a health nut, you probably already know this, but you know that in the, in the culture that we live in today, so we live in a society that's all about bigger, faster, bigger, faster. And so did you know that that is even taking place with the very fruits and vegetables that we eat or that we grow, that they found that, hey, people want them bigger, they want the biggest apple they could find, they want the biggest whatever it is that you eat, and they want it fast. So we gotta grow this thing up, so how can we do that? And so they started doing this really cool thing. Watch this, look at this picture. They started spraying the food with pesticide because what they found is that it makes it grow faster and it makes it grow bigger. But I wanna ask you a question do you notice what's on his face? <laughs> yeah, just a gas mask. Well said. Just a gas mask as they spray your vegetables that you'll be putting in your Caesar salad, probably not anymore, but that you're going to be eating on the, you know, in your car or on the way to work, chowing down on the apple because the doctor said apple a day will keep the doctor away. And the reality is because we live in a culture that is all about now and bigger, and they have found a way, but do you know what's happened is over the years that they've done more study and as our bodies has had time to absorb it, they've found that this is actually, as you can imagine, extremely unhealthy, and the more of this stuff we eat over a long period of time begins to do damage on our bodies. Now, why do I say that to you? Well, I thought it was kind of an interesting way and a fun way to, to really drive us in, narrow us in on what we've been looking at through the book of Exodus. All the way through, there's been this, this kind of underlying theme amongst many others, and that is just impatience. Get me out now. We're ready to go now. God, don't use me, but if you're going to use me, let's do this now. And even tonight, as we dig a little bit deeper into these 10 plagues, which are so monumental in our history as Christians, and particularly in the Jewish as well, you're going to see this long journey through multiple plagues being unveiled on Pharaoh, his people, and at some points even God's people, the Israelites. And there's this thought that comes to say, why? Why not just finish it? Why not just be done? Why not just get to the end? We ask ourselves sometimes the same question, God, why can't you just bring me the one? I mean, I've been, I didn't think that was going to hit y'all, but apparently it did. That's great. Uh, I've been waiting I've seen many of them, but you haven't brought the one for me. And so, Lord, I'm waiting on you. But, but what's, and, and we just begin to get impatient, and we've got to be reminded always, and we'll have to remind ourselves that as we finish out this book, is that God's plan often comes in his timing. But his timing and his plan are often always, always better than what we could ever dream up. And so our patience, there's a lot of things that happen in that. And so tonight, just as a, as a small overarching theme, we're going to see that transpire now in Pharaoh's life. As we look at him, be impatient, and we look at him, stay angry and hard-hearted at God, yet we're going to see what God does underneath all of that. And so you may be asking, we covered the plagues last week. We did kind of an overview real quickly. Why are we digging back in? And, and there's really two reasons. Uh, one, these are very important in our history, and we don't talk about them very much. And so I just felt, hey, for three weeks, you're into the second one, so there's one more after this. 
for three weeks, we could camp out a little bit and we could look a little bit deeper at these so that we could understand them. So that if someone were to ask us about this, we could give them some more detail, some of the symbolism and some of that. It's very fascinating and I hope that's what you'll find tonight. But the second reason is inside of these plagues, our story continues to unfold. As Moses and Aaron continually come before Pharaoh, there's some other elements around the plagues that are taking place, some other themes that I think are very helpful in our life. And so that's why we're gonna take a little bit of time and kind of move slowly through them. So tonight, Lord willing, if time allows, we're going to go one through five. And again, I'm just going to show you, kind of pinpoint a couple of things as we're moving through and also watch our story kind of unfold as we go forward. So real quick, let's recap last week. We talked about a couple of things as we did this kind of overview of the plagues. The first thing we talked about is did the plagues really happen? Did these plagues really happen? Are they just a story to tell your kids or your grandkids or, or whatever? What was the point? And what we saw was that there's really two things we could look at. The plagues had a, both a natural and a supernatural element to them. They were natural because they're things we understand. We understand blood, we understand bugs, we understand cattle, we understand death. We understand some of the natural elements in this, but yet they are infused with supernatural power. The fact that God was able to make these happen, to make them happen in the way that they happen, in the timing that they happen, just after he said. And so what helps us get a grasp of this is we see the natural and it helps us to understand it's possible, yet we see the supernatural and it reminds us of the power of God. And so the second thing we looked at is who did it affect? And this is important because it affected everyone. It affected Pharaoh, it affected the Egyptians, and it also affected God's people, the Israelites. Now we're gonna see tonight, there's gonna be a point when now the Israelites are gonna be separated out and so we'll get to see that unfold. But the reality is God was using these plagues to speak to all of these people. The prime target, though, was Pharaoh. And then the last thing we asked was why. Before we dig into the details, God, what is the, what is the main purpose? What are the things you were wanting to show us as we look at these as a whole? And really, we saw three things. The first one is this responding to a question that Pharaoh asked back in chapter 5, verse 2. And the question was, maybe you remember, who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? And what we remember, and I hope you do, is that that's the same question people still have to wrestle with today. Who is the Lord that he might or have any role in my life? Who is the Lord that I should give him control? Who is the Lord that I should listen to what he has to say? And so God is responding to this question of Pharaoh, and he's going to show him, I'm going to do this to show you that I am the Lord, and we'll see that throughout the plagues. The second thing we saw is God is destroying some of the Egyptian gods that existed. Now, we know there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to even 100 different Egyptian gods that these Egyptian people all worshiped. An insane system that was absolutely flawed from start to finish. And what God is doing through these plagues, he's demolishing some of the major key players in the, in the God category for Egypt. And so this is really fascinating as God is unfolding his power. And then finally, these plagues unfold for a period to Israel, to God's people, God's chosen people, God's protected people, yet he allows it to affect them. Why? Because he wants them to be reminded of who he is. He wants them to be reminded of the power that he holds, the power that's going to eventually lead them to freedom. And he also wants to remind them of the covenant that he had promised many, many years before. They've been in slavery for 400 years, and as you can imagine, doing anything for 400 years, none of us could ever wrap our mind around that, but anything you would do for 400 years would be a, a devastating thing when it's in that setting. And God is coming in to say, don't you forget 
who I am. And we remember how quickly they were to forget God. So that's a quick recap of where we were last week. Now, we jump into the plagues. We're going to kind of look at each one, one by one. We'll cover about three chapters, but I won't read all of them. I'm just going to read some random verses along the way. So if you have your Bible, open to Exodus chapter 7. We'll start in verse 15. And if you don't have your Bible, you can look up on the screen. Or if you just don't want to do this all night long, you can look up on the screen as well. So let's begin. Exodus chapter 7, verse 15, it says this. Here is God's instruction to Moses. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take your hand, take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. Okay, so God gives Moses instruction. He says what? Go out and meet Pharaoh. Where's Pharaoh at? He's at the water. What's the water? He's at the Nile. Now, there are many reasons why people would go out to the Nile. They would bathe in the Nile. They would drink from the Nile. That sounds weird even as you say it, but that's what they did. Um, the Nile was their source of life. They would also have rituals. They would worship gods down at the Nile. So there's numerous reasons why Pharaoh might have been going down there. But nonetheless, in God's providential understanding, he knew that's where he was going to be. And so he launches Moses out there to meet him. And then he says, I want you to take in your hand the staff that I turned into the serpent. And if you remember that, that may begin to wash off of us because it happened so long ago. But the reality is, every time God says something like that, it reminds Moses of what? Of the power that God has and that he has given to him to, in, to move through this situation. Can you imagine going and standing in front of the most powerful man in the world that is known for killing people without remorse, and God says, I want you to go, and you say, uh, are you sure? Are you positive? Like, did you mean me, or did you mean Aaron, or did you mean somebody else? And God says, I want you to take the staff. And right then, Moses would have gone, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's powerful. He's got me. Maybe it took a little longer for some of us, right? But God's powerful. God's got me. He's walking with me, so let's go. So they head out to the Nile. And then here's the words that are spoken. Verse 17. Thus says the Lord. Here's what the Lord says. By this you shall know that I am What? the Lord. Remember the question? Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Here's his response. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, right off the bat, I want to point out something very interesting. It uses the word strike. And it does that a couple different times with a couple different plagues. And you get the picture, remember, as God is attacking these Egyptian gods, you get the picture that he's striking them, just symbolically. But what a cool picture to kind of see that unfolding as he's going after the gods, as he's going after these power supplies, and he's reminding them, as I strike the water, I'm also striking that very God in which you worship. That's not me. Really cool. And then it says the Nile River. We've talked about this a couple different times, but let me just remind you. The Nile is a powerful river. It is the second largest river in the world. It was their source of life. It's where they found food, drinking water, and many, many other things. It was so powerful that it had multiple gods that either guarded it or that were the god of the Nile. In fact, it got even so powerful to a point where the people just stopped worrying about all the gods and they just worshiped the Nile itself as a God. This is the kind of life source that it was. For the Nile to even be thought of being removed would absolutely demolish the way the Egyptians lived their life. Everything derived from the Nile. And so as you can see, 
when God uses the Nile as his very first point of attack, he is attacking the very thing that brings them life and the very thing that has multiple gods looking over it. God is going straight for the jugular. He holds nothing back. You got problems with me? Let's start with the Nile, your most powerful source of life. This is fascinating. And then he says, oh, let's talk about the gods for a second. Now, I showed you one last week. Do y'all remember the god Happy? Okay, these aren't real gods, by the way. These are Egyptian gods. So to them it was real, but these aren't real. But the god Happy was one of the many Egyptian gods, and this was the god of the Nile. This was one of those overarching gods that when they think of the Nile, they think and worship the god Happy, H-A-P-I, by the way. The god Happy. When God goes after the Nile, he says, your god Happy has nothing on me. In addition to that, there's another god, the god Canum. The god Canum was the guardian of the Nile. And God too says, hey, you have a god that guards the Nile? I'm going to pass right through him. It's not even going to be me. It's going to be Moses. He's going to use this little staff. He's going to strike it, and it's all going to turn to blood. How was your guardian? How was that, right? Guardians of the galaxy, guardians of the Nile, right? Not quite holding in there, bud. Y'all like that, see? That's a real movie right there. When that comes out, I want to see all. Anyways, let's move on. Focus on what matters here. And then it says what? That it turns to blood. Now, there's some people that believe it was blood. Some believe it was red. Not worth getting into a bait. Scripture's pretty clear to me. It sounds like it's blood. And so I go off that assumption that it's the appropriate thing. And, and there's some ancient writings in, uh, in the Jewish culture that kind of give us some more confirmation there. But nonetheless, as the scripture said, this turns into blood. But then look what happens in 22, verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. Now, we talked about this last week. It gets a little scary, but we have to understand the reality. That is that Satan is out there. Satan is powerful, and Satan can do some, very limited some, but some of the things that God is able to do. And one of those things is to have different moments of miracles, different miraculous things happen through man. And so what we see is Satan working through the magicians and allowing them to be able to do something similar to what Moses was able to do with his staff. Now what's the point of this? Well, here's the big thing. By the magicians being able to do the same thing Moses did, in Pharaoh's eyes, he got a sense of what? Relief. Because he thought he was standing toe-to-toe with a God that could do one thing that no one else could. But then when he sees his magicians are able to do that, he takes a little bit of, he's not worried anymore. There's still a God bigger than that God. He doesn't fear me anymore. And guess what? His heart remained hardened and he moved forward. Now a time is coming when that's not going to take place, so don't freak out. But in these moments, that's what's unfolding. The second thing that we have to know, and I think this is really fascinating. If the magicians really wanted to show their power... Instead of turning more water into blood, they would have taken that Nile, which was blood, and turned it back to water. But they couldn't. All they could do was make something that was worse. Take the little bit of water that they found along the side when they dug ditches and found water. Take a little bit that was left and make it worse. And this is how Satan works. Satan is not capable of making anything better. That's not in his DNA. That's not how he's wired. What he does is take things that are either detrimental or just kind of bad, and he makes them even worse. This is the nature of Satan. This is why when we play with fire, 
when we play with the things that Satan is involved in, when we even surround ourselves in those environments, eventually we become victim. Why? Because Satan has no way of making things better, just only the way of dragging down. And we see this immediately, that even though the magicians were able to do something, the true miracle would have been to see that blood turned right back to water, but they were unable to do that. And then we jump into the frogs. Verse 8, our chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. This is the request that's been going on for a couple of chapters. But if you refuse to let them go, remember this is Moses and Aaron standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. This is what they're having to say. Behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that they shall come up into your home and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all of your servants. Doesn't this sound fascinating? I don't know about you. When I think of frogs, I'm not quite sure which frog they're talking about. Many people believe it's more of like a toad. It's probably a better, better frog to wrap our minds around. But can you imagine just a couple of frogs hopping through here? Some of you would freak out just because it's something you're not used to seeing. But imagine if they were everywhere. And we know they were everywhere. Why? Because of the detail. They're going to be in your house. They're going to be in your bedroom. They're going to be in your bed. They're going to be even in your oven. In case you were wondering if there's a safe place, not even in the oven. Everywhere you look, they're going to be all over. Now, I think this is fascinating. We stop for a moment and say this. Why didn't God just go straight to plague 10? Why didn't God go from, I gave you a chance, I struck the Nile, I turned it to blood, I'm done with you, let's get straight to the end. Why didn't he do that? Why did he go to plague two, and then three, and then four, and then five? Don't you think he was getting sick and tired at that point? Then seven, then eight, then nine, then ten. Don't you think he's getting sick and tired? Can I ask you the same question in our own lives? Don't you think he's getting sick and tired of waiting for men and women to realize the truth and to turn to him? But oh, what a gracious, loving, merciful God that endures his children who he created, spitting in his face yet waits for them as long as possible in hopes that maybe they might turn their hearts to him. Now there's a lot going on, but I believe one of the moments here is that God's giving Pharaoh a chance to snap out of it. Now, God knew what he was going to do because God's sovereign. He sees all, but he gave him a chance and was hoping that maybe after plague three, maybe plague five, maybe plague eight, maybe plague ten. Okay, that's it. And the truth is, that's how it works in the world today. For those of us, anyone sitting in this room that has not given their life to Jesus Christ, I want you to understand. You're going to go through life. You're going to go through a lot of things. Some of them are going to be great. Some of them are going to be tough. Some of them are going to be parts of repercussions of our sin and discipline. But at the end of the day, God is waiting patiently, waiting patiently, waiting patiently. But at the end, whether it's him returning or it's you passing away, there will be no second chance. There will be no, well, I gave you 35,000 chances in the last 27 years of your life, but here's one more. There won't be any of that because we serve a just God, and there has to be a line drawn. And this is what we're seeing with Pharaoh. Again, there's probably many other things unfolding, but this is one of the main things that jumps out at me, that God was so patient. It says, after the blood, his heart hardened. After the frogs, his heart was still hardened. On and on and on, we're gonna see the same thing, but a loving, gracious, merciful God is waiting 
patiently just like he's doing with us today. And don't get me wrong, I think there's other reasons why God hasn't come back, but I believe one of the big ones is that he's waiting as long as he can, that all his children that would turn to him would have a chance to do so. So there is a god named the goddess of Heket. The goddess of Heket had a frog head. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I don't know how that makes it a God worth worshiping. I'm not quite sure. Um, different time, different day. But this God had, had a frog head. And this was the God of fertility and resurrection. Fertility and resurrection. So here's what's awesome. Watch this. Frogs come out of the Nile, right? Not 10, not 20, but like 10 million. That's just an unbelievable number. They cover everything. And remember, the God Heket is the, the frog god of essentially, the frog god of God of fertility and God of resurrection. So here come all these frogs out of the Nile. They're surrounding everywhere. And you gotta wonder if there was ever a moment when they thought, I wonder if the God Heket is gonna help us. And then they thought, the God of Heket is what? The God of fertility and the God of resurrection. What happened with the frogs? There were a lot of frogs, so there's a lot of fertility, and it kind of backfired. Don't you see God's humor? He's so funny sometimes. You have to really look carefully, but he's really funny. You want to serve a God of fertility? Here you go. Let them pop them out, baby. Take it all. Take everything. Surround yourself with them. Here they come. And then it says what? She was also the God of resurrection. You know how many frogs came back to life after they died? None of them. In fact, Scripture is later going to tell us that they, they died and they stunk up the city because they were all piled together. Do you see God just taking out these gods one after another? You want to worship somebody besides me? Let me show you what I can do with that. The God Heket. Poor thing, poor thing. By the way, it's also interesting to note that Egypt itself had a, a really big standard of always being clean. Cleanliness was a really big part of their DNA. And so can you imagine when these, we'll say toads for a minute just to make it a little worse. Can you imagine when these toads were everywhere? Can you imagine how uncomfortable they must have felt when they built up in a tradition of cleanliness? Now some of you are like, that didn't bother me because I like have frogs living in my bedroom right now. And you got problems. And, and there's another message for another day for you. But if you're like me and a little bit of a clean freak, I mean, just one is stressing me out. The fact that they would be everywhere. Even when I went to cook my pie and I opened the oven and they're jumping out, I would be losing my mind. And so the people of Egypt are not just being towards, I mean, I don't think the frogs are attacking them. They're just attacking their way of life. God's power, unbelievable. It's always interesting to see the torture. Uh, it's kind of mean, but it's great because God is so powerful. And if you ever wonder, does God, does God, what is he doing with injustice? What's he doing with these people? Trust me, he's way more powerful than you and I could ever be, so just get out of the way and let him do his thing. Amen? Okay, write that down. You might need to remember that later. Exodus 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me, always him first, and my people. And I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. I will let you go. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. Did, did you catch what happened? Pharaoh said, hey, could you pray for me? And could you pray on our, on, on our behalf that these frogs would go away? And pray to who? Pray to your God. Could you pray to your God that these frogs might disappear? The audacity. 
why don't you just acknowledge God for who he is? And we could end all this right now, but, but there's all, we got so many people in the world that they're just, well, uh, I'm not ready to give in just yet. Let's try something else. Hey, do you mind just interceding for us? And he's really, he's, he's playing a game with him. He's playing a game with him. Now, it's an interesting point, though, to think about when we think about our enemies. Now, how we describe enemies today is probably different than this setting. I mean, your enemies are people that, like, didn't like your picture on Instagram or Facebook, and you've just lost your mind, or you walked in with a Star Wars shirt, and you thought I was going to give you a high five, think it was cool, and it didn't. And so you're looking at me like, that's my enemy up there. I'm trying to listen and be a good kid, but that's my enemy up there. Right? Our, our view of enemy is very different than situations we find in Scripture, but nonetheless... We know in a realistic society that we're in that there are people out there at different times in our life that can seem to be out there to get us. And the reality is, whether it's an unbeliever challenging your faith or it's a disagreement within the body of Christ and you, you two just can't figure it out and you're just going neck and neck at each other or it's some unbelievable situation at work where they just seem to be out to get you and you don't even know why. The reality is the principle here is true for you and I. And that is that God doesn't say, hey, um, only pray for the people that matter to you. Only pray for the people that treat you well. Uh, and, and just don't worry about the rest. In fact, go ahead and take care of the rest when you get a moment. Do, you know, do a little something sly. Get them back if it's at work. Make them look back. God doesn't say that. God would desire that you and I would lead by example. That we would model well the grace and compassion that Jesus modeled while he walked on the earth. God would ask that you and I would intercede on behalf of even our enemies. And Moses is going to do this. In fact, he's going to pray a pretty powerful prayer. And I want to encourage you. I don't know. Some of you are like, I don't got any enemies. We're good. But some of you are like, you know, I can think of someone right now. Right now. In fact, they're texting me right now saying these things. And, and maybe God is trying to. And I'm going to tell you that he probably is. Because the truth is we're to show that same love and compassion to everyone that we encounter. To pray for our enemies. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you do that? Okay, second to God says that's, that's what we should do. That's how we model the Christian life. What benefit could come from praying for our enemies? I'll, I'll tell you one. When we pray, oftentimes, God allows us, because we finally stop for a moment, we shut up, he allows us into the story that's unfolding in front of us. And sometimes we're so busy being angry and distracted and busy that we can't see what God's doing right in front of us. How many of you, let me just ask you a question. How many of you in your life, you had someone that was an enemy that ended up becoming a good friend? Anybody? Anybody? Usually there's quite a few of us. See, when we open ourselves up and put down our guards and humble ourselves, God allows us to look into a story that we might not see if our eyes are covered or distracted or filled with anger. It's the same thing with punishment. I know sometimes someone does you wrong and you just want so badly, man, I'm gonna, what, just wait till tomorrow. Wait till tomorrow. I'm not even gonna, you're not even gonna know I hit you, but I'm gonna hit you and it's gonna hurt. And I just wanna tell you, that that may feel fun and good until you do it and you look back and then you regret it, especially if you got in trouble for it or went to jail. Um, can I just tell you that if we believe we serve the all-powerful supernatural God, don't get in his way. If he's going to discipline someone, he'll take care of it and he'll do it, listen, far worse than you will. Because when you do something, if you do it really well, it's probably so well that it's gonna end up hurting you too because you're gonna be in trouble for it, right? I mean, if you really wanna get them back the way that you think they deserve, that's what's gonna happen. But here's the second thing, and this is the part we don't like to talk about, but we're in church, and I can be honest with you. 
sometimes God will decide not to lay that punishment that you might desire on someone. Sometimes God might decide to extend grace. And we know we serve a God of discipline, and he does intercede, and he takes care of business, but sometimes God decides to extend grace. And when you and I are so mad and so frustrated and so angry that all we can see is righting this wrong, we are unable to see the big picture. And I say this because some of you might be sitting in your chair going, hmm, I remember a time or two when God extended grace to me even though I deserved far worse. And so when we get in the way of all-powerful and all-knowing God, we interfere with the plan. And so here's Moses modeling for us well. Made no sense to pray for this guy. He should have looked at him and said, hey, buddy, I'm pretty sure you know what you need to do. I'm definitely not praying for you. Have a good day. See you later. I'll be back tomorrow with something else, right? But he doesn't do that. He responds. Now let's move on for time's sake. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, that the frogs began to come back, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, I'm not going to bore you with reiterating every single time because after every single plague, the same thing is going to happen. His heart is still hard. But I want to show you one more thing that I think is really important. Notice what it says. When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. When Pharaoh saw that the punishment was beginning to rescind or wasn't as bad as maybe he thought it might be if it had continued on for days and days and days, that's when Pharaoh's heart got hard. That's when he turned his back on the idea of maybe turning and humbling himself before God. And here's the thing. We can struggle with the same thing. And let me be as real as I can be with you right now. There are some of you that have our I pray not, but maybe even will. You'll be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe not your boyfriend or girlfriend, just some random person, and you will find out or think, oh my goodness, I think I'm pregnant. Or she's pregnant. And you will lose your mind, you will freak out, you will pray like you've never prayed before. Your knees and your jeans are going to be all cut up because you are begging God to save you from this moment for the repercussions, for the future, for the sake of the kid, for the sake of you, for the sake of your church family, of all of these reasons, and you will beg and beg and beg, God, please, God, please, God, please, just fix this, and I'll never again, never again, never again, and then you find out it didn't happen, and there's a sense of relief. And then what happens in human nature? A couple months, maybe even a couple weeks later, we find ourselves doing the very same thing. Why? Because we saw that it rescinded. It didn't hit us that hard. And we find ourselves right back where we were. Now, that was like a way up high one. But you could see how that story could affect all of us. That situation affects so many of us. Because God didn't deliver I don't know if he would have done that to you. That was really harsh. But he didn't deliver the discipline that you and I deserved. And because he spared us when we should have come humbly, God, forgive me. I'll never do that again. We say, oh, I got away with it. And it doesn't scare us anymore. It doesn't frighten us. And we end up, if we're not careful, going right back to where we were. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. And here's Pharaoh, hardened heart, because he thought things might get better. He had hope in all the wrong places. Then we got plague number three. 
Now we call it gnats. Some people call it lice. The Jewish folk think it's lice, and I tend to trust the Jewish folk when we're talking about Jewish people. So we're gonna just go with the assumption it's lice, but it could be gnats, it could be lice, it's kinda hard. By the way, this is interesting to note, the languages that we're trying to translate between. Um, Stock, you remind me, the American language has, what is, half a million words, and then the Hebrew language has about 8,000, okay? So you're talking about taking the very few words and trying to translate them to a very big amount. It's a very difficult process. So it is possible it was gnats or lice, or they don't even know what that means at the time when they were translating it, but we get the picture. It's a bug that sticks. How many of you have ever, no, I mean, I'm not gonna ask you that. Maybe some of us in here have had lice before. Maybe we could understand, or maybe you've seen someone or known someone that's had it, but it's a nasty, nasty thing. Let's read this in verse, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, and guess what? Strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. They were everywhere. Did that sink in? I was doing that on purpose. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on the man and the beast. In verse 19, then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of of God. When they can't do it anymore, they finally realize where the power's coming from. They could only do a few, folks. Satan can only do a little bit, but he is a limited being with limited power. And there will come a day when we will see or be reminded that the power of God is far significant. We're only into plague three here. All right, we're just getting started, and already God has shut him down. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Notice the first two plagues, God gave a little warning. The third one, he just delivered. Now we'll see some warnings come back. Basically every two, there's a warning and then he just delivers. And there's two more with a warning and then he just delivers. But all the way through, we see. Now what's the point here? Now I, I tried to look at this carefully. There's not actually, at least I couldn't find a specific God that just jumps out in this moment, a God of lice pretty sure why. Um, I don't think I'd worship that God ever. Um, I'd run from him or her. Um, but nonetheless, what we do see is that the priest that represented the Egyptian people, like with Christian, or like with the Jewish culture back then, the priests were the only ones that could make the sacrifice. They were the only ones that could go into their chosen and quote unquote holy places and so when the lice came upon all of the people that means it also came upon the priests when it came upon the priests it made them unclean therefore they could not make the sacrifices to the 80 plus gods that existed in Egypt therefore turmoil broke out because they feared that all of these gods might bring vengeance on them on top of all the things that have been happening already through the power of the one God and so this though doesn't necessarily represent one specific God this broke the system that they used to worship the very gods in which they believed in God went for the jugular with the Nile I think he cut off the head here this uh, forget the gods the puny little gods let me just start breaking down the system so they have no choice powerful 
and the magicians couldn't do it. Yet the never-ending story continues that Pharaoh's heart hardened. Then the fourth plague was the fleas. Verse 20, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Same old story, different day, literally different day. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies. You got to wonder, did the dude not get it? I mean, seriously, not only are you suffering, your people are suffering. We knew we had at least a daughter. Your kids are suffering. Come on, man. Anyways. I will send a swarm of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies. Sounds awesome. Some say, by the way, this could be a mosquito too. That whole translation thing, this could be, yeah, is that better for you? Let's start over, right? Mosquitoes everywhere, come on, right? Vampires stand no chance in this moment. This is a whole nother world. And so these mosquitoes are everywhere and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, listen to this, verse 22, but on that day I will set apart the land of Geshen. What's the land of Geshen? That's where most of the Israelites, God's people, were residing inside of Egypt. But I will set apart the land of Geshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that what I am the Lord in the midst of this earth. For the first couple of plagues, everybody experienced it. And let's be honest, the Israelites needed a little kick in the butt because they've been a little impatient. They, they abandoned God immediately after he promised he was gonna give them because things got a little tough. So they got a little kick in the butt, but then God did what? He set them apart. This is marvelous, guys, because this is the same thing that's happened to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are here on the earth. Yes, we've gone through some tough times. We're going to go probably through some more before it's all said and done. But God has now set you and I apart from all of that. He has set us apart from eternal damnation and has made a way for us to have heaven and paradise when we perish. What a marvelous thought. And so we're seeing the symbolism before it is ever brought into the picture. God says, I'm going to show you my power. This is going to unveil on all of you, but I want you to watch as my people are set apart. What a beautiful picture. Now, to go back to the beginning here, it says, rise up early in the morning, and I think this is just a good time to just say this. God speaks to us all the time, but I have found that in the morning, he is most present, or I am least distracted. I'm not sure which one it is, but I have found in the morning. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, you're about to do the whole do a quiet time in the morning. I'm not going to do that to you because I don't think that's realistic for all of us. But I will say this. You're driving in your car. You're taking a shower. You're eating breakfast. You're heading into school or work or whatever it is that you're doing. In the morning, I believe, is a moment when God says, hey, together, let's cease this day. Not you cease the day. Great quote, bad context. Let's together, you and I, cease that day. As you call on my name this morning, let me open your eyes. Let me give you my eyes, my hands, my feet, so that when you step out in this world and you go work or you go to school or you start loving on people or you begin to get impatient, you might be reminded that I'm walking this day not alone but with the Lord. Now, that was a side note, but it was a good one. Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out into the water. Or else, God goes back to giving a very, very clear warning here that he's bringing judgment unless you do something. We ignore a lot of warnings in life, don't we? I mean, I know you don't want to admit it. We're in church. We're all perfect, right? That's the face we've put on. Uh, 
a lot of you, listen, you don't know how to drive the speed limit. In fact, what, what, did, why did everyone just squirm? <laughs> Apparently we've hit, we've hit the high note here. Let's just pause for a moment and let's dig into this a little bit. All right? There's a warning there for what? So you don't get a ticket. Right? Wrong. Set you up. Now the warning's out there to keep you from getting a ticket. The warning's there to protect you. Because the city and the government love you. I know it's hard to swallow. Let's not think about it anymore. But the reality is they're not giving you warnings so that you don't get a ticket. They're giving you warnings because when you go too fast, you can't focus. You're distracted. And some little sweet kid or puppy walks out in front. You're taking them out. And you're going to live with that for the rest of your life. We ignore a lot of warnings. Some of you ignore the gaslight warning. What you looking at? You're driving, 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 and the red light's there, and you're like, it'll get brighter. It'll get brighter. It doesn't get brighter. You just stop, all right? Or you sit on the side, and you call your friend, hey, man, just want, man, I ran out of gas. You think you can help me out? No, bro, I'm not going to help you out. You should have paid attention. The light was there. I know you're like, this guy is very mean, right? To be honest, I have prepared myself before I got here, but this is kind of a problem of mine, too. So I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. Sarah's looking at me oddly, but that's okay. Uh, I, I do this, but the, the reality is this. What's the picture of There's warnings all over the place. And we want to look at Pharaoh and be like, what a bozo. How did he not see? How did he not know this was coming? I mean, God told him, but so do we. We have so many warnings in life. People look at the Bible and they say, man, this is a bunch of things we can't do. Come on, man, let's just live the life. I want to have fun. Have you ever thought about it? When you actually walk this thing out, you have fun without having to look over your shoulder. Man, it changes everything, doesn't it? I think about how I had fun in my old life, my BC days before Christ. I had a lot of fun, but I was always looking over my shoulder or trampling someone along the way. But oh, when we walk this out, our fun looks a little bit different. But I'm telling you what, man, we're Christians, we have fun. You guys in here have fun. It's fun. It's fun, and guess what? It's safe. And then we start going back to that whole, I want to find the one, I want to find the one. And you follow the world's way. You go through a lot of people to get to the one, and some people think they found them, and they end up divorced and starting all over again. Oftentimes, because we didn't heed the warnings, God was so clear to give us. And that goes on and on and on and on. So we got to be careful not to look at the story and over and over just go, Pharaoh, what a bozo, what a bozo. Because God is trying to speak to us too. I've been warning you. All of our situations are a little different. I've been warning you for days, for months, maybe for years. I've been trying to get your attention. Maybe tonight you'll listen. Maybe tonight you might actually stop for a moment and hear what it is I'm trying to warn you about verse 25 then pharaoh called moses and aaron and said go sacrifice to your god within the land but moses said it would not be right to do so remember god said i want you to leave and then go have a moment of sacrifice a feast for me Moses says, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. 
what happens? Pharaoh suggests, okay, listen, I'm getting sick of the plagues. I added that, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. I'm getting sick of the plagues. Let's make a compromise. I'll give you a little bit of freedom to go make your sacrifice that your God desires for you to have. You just got to do it inside of Egypt. You got to stay here. Well, that wasn't what God asked him to do. God's instructions were to get out and then to go have the feast. So Pharaoh, just like Satan, by the way, tries to give a little bit of leeway here. Hey, let's, let's, let's compromise. I'll give you a little bit, you give me some, right? Satan is what? He is all half-truths. That's just his nature. That's his most prized possession and really only weapon, half-truths, all the way from the garden all the way to now. Hey, just give me a little bit. Hey, you can go to church on Sunday, no problem. Just make sure you don't live it out any other day of the week. All right, I'll give you what. He loves the half-truth lie. And here's Pharaoh going, hey, let's make a compromise. Is it any different? Let's make a compromise. I'll give you a little bit. You got to give me some. What's he saying? Listen, you disobey God, but you're only doing it a little bit. You stay here, but you still get to have the feast. I mean, come on, that seems like a really good deal to me. Does that sound like Satan all over it? Sound like him in your life? Hey, just do this, just a little bit, and then we'll have, this is how he works. He loves it. And so Pharaoh tries to offer a, an alternative, if you will. And by the way, the, uh, the thing that Moses is saying is very accurate. See, the sacrifices that the people of Israel would have made, really would have been an abomination to the people of Egypt because they saw animals very differently. They saw things, in fact, we'll get to this in a second, but cows were very sacred, cattle, livestock were very sacred to them uh, in a way that it cost them a battle. Uh, their enemy brought livestock out in front of them and used them as shield, and they ended up defeating Egypt because the Egyptians refused to attack the animals in front of them because they were so sacred. They had a different view on things. And so Moses saying, listen, if we do what God's going to ask us to do, your people are going to look at us like we're crazy, and then they're going to try to kill us. So saying, I got to get out of here, but on top of that, this is what my God has asked me to do. Then in verse 28, so Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but only you must not go very far away. Oh, and plead for me. Verse 30, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let his people go. You gotta keep asking yourself the question, what is his problem? Why is he not letting them go? And you gotta remember a big thing. Number one, if he lets them go, he gives up the idea that he is a God. Remember, Pharaoh, most of the people thought he was a God. He treated himself as a actual God, one of the gods of Egypt. If he loses to this God, he loses his godship. Second, he loses the power he has over two million people. The Israelites are in the, the rough neighborhood of two million people. And finally, the final blow would be he loses his workers. Remember, we talked about this early on. These people serving him as slaves was equivalent to us giving away all of our oil down here in Houston. It would be like losing our entire production line of where all, most of the money comes for our city coming from oil to say, hey, we're gonna give it all away back to, uh, back to Egypt. They can have it all. We would have nothing. This is a moment that's gonna take place for Pharaoh because his people are lazy. They've been letting the Israelites work for them for years. They don't even know how to lift a hammer, most likely. And the idea that his people were gonna have to step back in and finish all of these projects. And so Pharaoh's looking at this going, yes, these plagues are terrible. Yes, my heart is hardened and I'm ignoring the obvious signs. 
but at the same time, he's holding on to his worldliness. He's holding on to that last string, trying his best. And let's quickly go to the last one. This is plague five, Exodus nine. By the way, up until this moment, the plagues have just been uncomfortable and painful. Now they're gonna become costly. Chapter nine, verse one, last part. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. Now we're amping it up here. Upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. Can you imagine how costly that would have been for him? But the Lord will make a distinction, here we go again, between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he still, I added still, did not let the people go. What happened? Now a plague comes over all of the livestock, but not the people of God's livestock, because God kept them set apart, but on his. Now there's one other God, last one, the Egyptian god, the god Hathar. This was actually another god of fertility that had the face of a cow. Again, you gotta wonder where the pictures came from. I'm not quite sure. Some guy late at night that maybe drank a little too much wine, I'm not quite sure. He said, this looks like a great god of fertility. Let's add her to the line. I mean, I'm not quite sure where they're coming from, but nonetheless, the god Hathar, a god of fertility, seen with this, this cow Head And so this reminds us, and I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again, that they, these animals are so sacred, yet they're also not the cows, but the donkeys and all these other, these are their workhorses. This is how they work. This is how they thrive as a nation. And God says, I'm going to take them out. God is getting, God is taking one step after one step after one step, slowly cutting them down all along the way hoping that maybe one day Pharaoh might soften his heart, the same thing that he's doing with most people in the world today, because we know that amongst the world, the Christians are in a very small group of people in the world we live in today. So the reason that we're still here, one of the many at least, is that God is waiting in hopes that some might turn their heart to him. Here's what we take with this. Here's how we close. Satan's half-lies, his power, we know it's limited, but it's there. And here's the thing. You remember a couple minutes ago, Pharaoh tried to make compromises. Look, I'll let you go do it, but you do it here in Egypt. Okay, I'll let you go do it, but you stay close. And this is one of Satan's tactics, and I don't want you to miss this now before we go. Satan will give you all the leash in the world as long as he's still got you chained. He'll let you wander out into church on Sunday. He'll let you wander into relationship with a good godly girl or guy. He'll let you experience some things of God as long as you make sure that he's still got his leash on you. Whatever that addiction is, whatever that belief system is, whatever it is, as long as he's got you secured, he'll give you as much least to where you think you're free. I think about with people that, um, that smoke. 
All right, maybe you, you are a smoker, maybe you know a smoker, your family is a smoker. They, one of the first steps for someone that's smoking is to convince themselves that they're in control. So they'll say, I can quit any time. I, I can quit any, in fact, for one week, I'll put this thing down, I'm done. And they go for a week and, and they are right back to it as fast as they can, right? Why? Because they've given a little bit of leash, but they're not willing to let it go. All right, now that's, that's one example of the many. And this is how Satan works in our lives. Listen, he, for those of us, listen, and I know they're here. I know you're here. Struggling with pornography. Man, I, I could stop at any time. It doesn't have control over me, but, but it's something that I just kind of continually keep finding myself in. And he said, well, well, well what do I do? Because I, I think I can quit, but... But in case I can't, what do I do? And the, the answer is simple. You eliminate any opportunity for that to come to life. So some people, for example, will say, well, I'm not going to struggle with that anymore. And so you say, okay, how serious are you? Well, I mean, I, 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 it's not a problem. I, it's something I choose to do. I don't have to do it. And you say, okay, cut the internet out of your house. Don't disconnect it. Cut the wire so you couldn't do it, even if you tried to. And they'll, well, I've got school to do, and, and we come up with all these excuses. That's why Starbucks was created, by the way, so you could do your homework. You cut the wire. You're just not willing to. Well, I got this great relationship, and everything's great. We both love the Lord, but, but well, yes, we kind of slip up here and there, and, you know, but, but we're in control. I say, how, how in control are you? How serious are you? Are you willing to stop ever hanging out alone so that it just doesn't happen? Are you willing to put that kind of stand? Well, I mean, how would we get to know each other? I mean, when are we, we going to get married? I mean, we, can't, we couldn't do that. And he said, I, I'm not, because the truth is, Satan will give you as much lease as you want as long as he's still got you chained. Pharaoh tried to compromise. He's going to try to do that again. Because he's not ready to let go. He's not ready to give the people of Israel full control. And Moses is going to stand his ground because God has given a clear instruction. We are to go. Can I just ask you tonight as we go? If you find yourself in a place, whatever it is, I listed two of many things there could be out in the world that you're struggling with. Can I, can I just, I beg of you to, to ponder for a moment tonight before you go, to think about this, to think about where the struggle is for you. And say, Lord, help me do business. Help me, God, to be serious about this. I don't want Satan to have any kind of control over me. I don't want a long leash. I don't want a short leash. I don't want a leash. God, help me to cut this. Help me to break it. I think about the, uh, the tabloid magazines. Man, when you, when you check out at the register, I don't know if y'all still do that. Maybe you order everything online. I'm not sure. But you check out at the register, and there's the National Enquirer. I think that's the fake one, right? Is that the fake one? We'll just roll with it. And what do they do? They take the picture of a celebrity, and they put them on another body, or they put them in another scenario or some crazy situation that in the world today could have happened, but hopefully probably never happened, but yet they, they cut and paste different faces and put, and listen, this is how Satan works too. He loves this, loves to make you think it's okay, it's gonna be fine, don't you worry about it, but really he's cut and paste, put God's face somewhere mixed with something of the world, and he gets us in these half lives to think we got it, and all he's doing is luring us in, luring us in, and scripture tells us he, he prowls around like a lion, ready to what? Ready to love on you? 
ready to hug you, ready to kiss you. No, he's ready to devour you. Now, when we read that in Scripture, we go, oh, yeah, devour. That's a good word to learn about. If there was a lion standing here that hadn't eaten in 10 days, and he's looking at you, and he says, I'm hungry. He wouldn't say that, but I'd speak for him. And he's looking at you. You're going, different scenario. I'm out of here. And you're running as fast as you can, closing every door and throwing all the little girls behind you so he gets them first. I mean, you are out there. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You're out the door, though. Why? Because you understand the reality and the intensity of the situation when it says that he stands in front of you ready to devour you. So I just want to beg of you tonight. Man, I can't know every situation. I can't know every story. But I want you to know that God does. And he knows what you're struggling with. And he loves you. And he wants you to break that. And he wants to help you do it. And the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us as believers in Jesus Christ gives us the ability to do it. But it's a journey. And you're not going to be able to do that journey alone. So as we close tonight, I just want you to think about that. Ponder that as we leave. Let's pray.